A couple of weeks ago, my wife, Kathy, and I went uh, with my brother and his wife to see Tom Hanks' latest movie on uh, Castaway. Uh, it was good, and one thing I particularly thought was interesting about it was how, to, how as he was on this deserted island by himself, the way that he kept from going crazy was he painted a face on a Wilson volleyball and uh, talked to it for two years. This was his sole companion. And uh, it was interesting, too, when he lost the volleyball in a storm, how he just cried like a baby. We'll do anything to keep from being alone, even if it's cutting our hand and smearing the blood on a volleyball to make it look like a, a person. Anything to keep from being alone. Solitude is always portrayed in the movies as a terrifying thing, and it is. Each week this summer, 26 million Americans tuned in to watch the CBS program Survivor, where it has a similar theme of castaways stuck on this island, and of course only one out of the 16 is going to get the million dollars if they are the, the sole survivor, as it were. Well, one of these, uh, 16, was a guy, you might remember his name, Dirk Bean. He was a 24-year-old youth ministries major from uh, Seattle Pacific University. And he was asked, as were all the other participants, what's the one creature comfort or the one luxury or, or whatever that you want to take with you on the island? And he said it was his Bible because he, he said he couldn't imagine going 39 days without spending time with the Lord. But he said that the thing that was most difficult for him during the stay there on the island was not being forced to eat beetle larvae, but it was being without fellowship of other believers. And this is what he said. He said, quote, The spiritual isolation was torturous. The other members of the tribes couldn't understand where I was coming from. When faced with the tensions of insufficient food and sleep, I didn't have someone I could really open up to and pray with. Every movie that's ever portrayed somebody being by themselves usually portrays it in, in a, a sense of fear or terror. And uh, even when the scenario was real with Adam, when God made Adam and he really was the only person, God says it's not good. And so he made a helper, a companion for Adam, and then told them the first command that was given to them was to multiply and fill the earth. But God said it is not good for a man to be alone. He makes a helper and then tells them to multiply. Well, multiply we have done to where now the U.S. Census Bureau tells us that the population of our country is well exceeded 281 million people. But isn't it fascinating that we have so many people living so close together, and yet we are still so much a group of individuals. We are still so isolated from one another. Uh, my family and I went to Jason's Deli not long ago, and as we were sitting in there, the place was packed. I mean, there wasn't an empty seat in the whole place. And we were all crammed at this one little bitty table, and of course everybody else was crammed at their tables, 
And I told Kathy, I said, look around for just a second at all these people, none of them we knew. And yet I could have on either side of me, just as I sat, I could have just reached over and touched a total stranger. Reached over this way and touched a total stranger. Or turned around and the people were that close to me and yet it was as if they weren't even there. I was just on my own little island here with my family. And as you looked at everybody else, they were doing the same thing. They were around hundreds of strangers and yet they were just doing their own little thing. And I thought, isn't it amazing? We can be so close to so many people and yet have nothing to do with any of them. I find it interesting that I, I have a friend in London whom I email once or twice a week and yet I don't know the name of the guy that lives 100 feet across from me in my cul-de-sac. The guy in London I talk to once or twice a week. But the guy across the street I haven't talked to in years. Isn't that amazing? How can that be? How can anybody live a hundred feet from anybody else and not even know their name? How is it? Because he lives in his house and I live in my house. And we've, we've got brick walls that keep us from seeing each other, from hearing each other, from having anything to do with each other, but we live a hundred feet apart. Isn't that amazing? And it's all because of mortar and brick. Because of walls. And you know, it's very much the same when we come together on Sunday morning. Because you can reach out and touch the person in front of you, touch the person beside you, behind you. In fact, you may come every week, sit in probably the same spot, and you probably do, creatures of habit, and never know the people that are standing around you other than this brief greeting time where we all stand up and shake our hands and play the game. How can we do that? How can we come every single week and not know the person that you sit by or stand by or, or whatever? For the same reason that I can live across the street from my neighbor, 100 feet away from him, and not know his name. We've erected walls to keep us apart and walls to keep us distant. Sure, I'll wave at him, but I don't go over and introduce myself. Why are we such private individuals? Why do we value our privacy so much as to not get to know each other? Probably for one of several reasons, maybe for some of us more than one. But because if we are private, then we don't, I don't have to share with you what I'm doing wrong particularly here at church, where the, the temptation or the, the, the peer pressure, as it were, is to be good. I mean, we come here and we're told every week, be good. And yet we know in our hearts we're not, myself included. So we come and we paint on the smiles. It's very difficult to have real relationships just on Sunday morning. And so we stay private. Because with privacy, there's no accountability. And I don't have to change the sin in my life. You know, another reason we stay private is because if you were to really find out about me, you wouldn't like me. And if I were to really find out about you, or at least this is the fear, I wouldn't like you. And so we keep the walls up so that we like each other, so that I'm accepted. But you know, I think the one that probably cuts the deepest is that somewhere in our lives, a relationship of significance, be it a parent be it a spouse, 
or an ex-spouse or a dear friend. You have opened your heart up to them and they have betrayed you. And they stabbed that heart. And you learn very quickly that the way you stay safe is you don't open up. You keep closed. And you protect yourself. John Dunn is the guy that wrote, No man is an island. And yet here in America, I think we've proved him wrong. We cultivate isolationism or individualism or our privacy as almost a virtue here in America where we do our own thing and we self-made man, self-made woman. It's a virtue to be sought. But we bring that into the church and it is absolutely devastating for our spiritual lives. Some years ago, I read the New Living Translation of uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want you to look at just the screen for a second at what Solomon wrote. He said, Two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble. It was Philip Zimbardo, a psychology professor at Stanford University, who said this. He said, I know of no more potent killer than isolation. There's no more destructive influence on physical and mental health than the isolation of you from me and of us from them. It's been shown to be a central agent in the origin of depression, paranoia, schizophrenia, rape, suicide, and mass murder. Isolation. That is getting off by yourself. And you know what's so terrible about this? Is it's a self-perpetuating problem. See, our problem is that we're, we're isolationists. We're private individuals. And to get out of that problem or the struggles that we have by ourselves, we need other people. But we don't want other people because other people have hurt us. And so we retreat all the more into our little cocoon and the problem just continually repeats itself. You know, it was in the Second World War when the Nazis were trying to figure out the best way to get information from their prisoners that they figured it out. You just stick them by themselves for a little while. Put them in isolation by themselves where they're all alone, no contact with any other human. And most men, after a few days of this kind of treatment, will tell all. Because we're designed by God to be influenced by one another. Both for good and unfortunately also we have the potential to be influenced for evil. And without fellowship we become easy prey for the abandonment of our values and of our loyalties. You see, if Satan can get us alone to thinking that you don't need the fellowship of me, that I don't need the fellowship of you, that I'm really okay by myself in the Christian life, then he has pretty well got you where he wants you, and it's just a matter of time before he craters your life. Solomon wrote a little further down in that same chapter. He said, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. 
but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. When we ask the question, do people get to you, and will you think of that in a negative sense? But now flip it around in a positive sense. Let me ask it in another question. Do you allow people to get to you? Are you accessible? Or are you guarded? Look with me at the book of Acts, chapter 2. If you brought a Bible, open it up. Book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 41. The early church did, I think, a great service to us, and the Holy Spirit, of course, recording what they did as a great model for how we're to grow spiritually. And unfortunately, in America, we've totally abandoned this model. None of us here is self-sufficient. <clears throat> we really aren't. When we start off as babies, we're not. Uh, a baby by itself, of course, is going to die. There's no way without the love of a parent that this child is going to be able to grow. It needs to be fed, everything. I mean, everything a child needs. Yet when we get older, we're somehow under the delusion that we're self-sufficient, but we're really not. Think about just this morning. The clothes that you're wearing, somebody else probably made them. The food that you ate, somebody else either prepared or somebody else took it to the grocery store for you so you could buy it. Uh, the road you drove on, somebody else built that. If you start putting two and two together, you realize that there's very little that we do in our lives other than maybe sin that we don't need other people for. We really need other people just to exist. And here in the book of Acts, you see a great model for how they dealt with one another. Chapter 2, look at verse 41. We're told, So then, those who had received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. What was it the early church devoted themselves to? Four things that we're told here, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, that is the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And many of these things, in fact all of these things, we devote ourselves to as well here as a church. Half of you, according to our last survey, were not regularly involved in some kind of a meaningful fellowship prior to coming to our church. And that's fantastic. But you know what? The first part of this can easily be accomplished through our Sunday service. We've got a lot of creativity. We've got a lot of friendly faces. We've got an unthreatening location. A lot's to our credit on this first part. But the second part, to be used by God to develop them into mature believers, that's real hard to do on Sunday morning. And in your spiritual life, if it is limited to just coming on Sunday mornings, then you really are handicapping your spiritual growth, at least in its potential. We've talked about a couple of the 
the core values that we have, one of love, that is of loving God and people, not just in word, but also in deed. We've talked about, last week we talked about making disciples. That's the whole reason that Christ left every single Christian on the planet. is not just to be a moral person and to go to church, but to invest yourself in the lives of others. But the question is then, how do you do that or where do you do that? How can I love somebody if I don't have a relationship with them? How can I be a disciple and make disciples if I don't have relationships with people? And so we've, we've decided that one of the things that we want to value here is not just doing our Sunday morning deal, but it is also this, that we value personal relationships beyond Sunday morning as an essential context in which evangelism, discipleship, and leadership development take place. Each of these things, evangelism, that's simply introducing somebody to Jesus Christ, and uh, that's simply telling them, you know, the Lord loves you, He wants you to go to heaven, but your sin is going to keep you out of heaven. Even if you sin just one time, it's going to keep you out of heaven. But the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And if you believe in Him, you place your faith in Jesus, He will forgive your sins and you'll be able to go. That's evangelism. And that happens best not by me telling it to you now, but by somebody in the context of a personal relationship telling you, and they've got the life to back it up. Discipleship is the same way, as we talked about last week. That's encouraging a young believer to grow in their relationship with Christ, and leadership development is simply taking that a step further, that person becoming a person who can now minister to other people. And all this happens best in the context of personal relationships beyond what we're doing right now. Why beyond Sunday morning? Because Sunday morning, it's so easy to be fake. It's easy for me to look like I know what I'm talking about. Because I've got you know, quite a bit of time to come up with what I stand up here and tell you. And I can sound reasonably intelligent if you give me enough time. But talk to me during the week. And you'll see, uh, you'll see that I sometimes need to stop and think. Ask Brian Collins. I work with him every day. It's easy to put on the mask on Sunday mornings. In fact, statistically showing, statistics show that church is the biggest place, one of the, not the biggest place, but one of the biggest places that we do that. Because again, we're told to be good. We know we're not. So we come to the place where we're here. We're supposed to be good. We put on the mask that says, I'm good. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Well, it's easy to come here. To start at one end of the building, you can, you can do this, you can, you can come in and shake hands. Hi, how you doing? Fine, boy, great to see you. Boy, how are you doing? Great, saw you last week, good to see you again. And you never got touched. Went through all those people. How you doing? Great. Maybe even got a couple of hugs, but you never got touched. Because it wasn't real. It's just Sunday morning. Sunday morning is a time for God to use this little vocal cord of mine and these incredible truths of his scriptures to go right to your heart. But that is not the only opportunity for you and not the best opportunity for you to grow as, as a believer in Jesus. The best opportunity is in personal relationships. How in the world do you think the Apostle Peter and all the apostles here in Acts 
after we read that 3,000 people came to know Jesus in one day, how in the world are, is this mass of Christians now going to individually grow? They did it on two levels. Notice a little further down in verse 46. It says, And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. How was it done? It was done on two levels. In one mind in the temple, here they are as one gathered together, and from house to house. You have the big group, and you've got the small group. You've got the personal relationships beyond the Sunday morning. And what was the result? God blessed it. In fact, it, the words that are used here are gladness, sincerity, praise, favor, and growth. You see, while Christianity, your Christianity is a personal thing, in fact, it's the most personal thing in your life, but it's not private. It's personal, but it was never intended to be private. And when it's private, it's not going to grow. It's got to be corporate. I hope you've come to the place in your spiritual life that you realize that you need the church more than the church needs you. You need the church more than the church needs you. And I need the church more than the church needs me. Does the church need you? Of course. church need me? Of course. But we need it more. Because we cannot grow to our potential by ourselves. You can't and I can't either. I need you. And you need me beyond the facade of Sunday morning. Now, I don't mean to be so down on what we're doing here this morning because it's, it's wonderful. I mean, it's, it's, it's essential. But it can come to be such a sad substitute for the real Christian growth that God wants for you. Let me say it simply this way by means of a principle. To grow to your spiritual potential, you must invest yourself in the lives of others. You must invest yourself in the lives of others. To stay by yourself in your Christian life, just you and Jesus, is detrimental to your spiritual life. And you weren't designed for that. It's not good that man be alone. God didn't just create Adam and say, Adam, it's you and me forever, bud. He says, this is not good. Gave Eve to Adam and then told them to multiply. See, it's like what we talked about last week. You've got the typical American believer. It says, what are you supposed to do as an American believer? Well, I'm supposed to live a moral life and I'm supposed to go to church. And that really does encompass basically uh, how we spend our, our spiritual lives as American Christians. Moral lives, we go to church. And that's it.
Look at the screen in a second at a couple of foundational verses. Ladies, in Titus 2, you're told this. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Now notice something about these verses, ladies. It goes against the grain of American Christianity that says, live a moral life and you go to church. Does this verse say you live a moral life? Sure it does. Be reverent in your behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. You bet. That's morality. But it doesn't stop there. For what purpose are you living a moral life but to reproduce that in the life of another young Christian woman? You see, some of you have lived 30, 40, 50 years as a Christian and have yet to reproduce yourself in the lives of one other Christian lady. What a shame. You haven't lived that long for nothing. We need you desperately. Our young ladies do. And so if you are a Christian lady who have some years of experience under your belt, you need to be reproducing that in the life of another young lady or a group of young ladies. And the, the opposite side is true. If you are a new Christian lady, what better place is there for you to go than to an older Christian woman? And older doesn't necessarily mean age. It can mean spiritual age, not necessarily time on the planet, in which you allow them to pour into your life. There was a lady that my, my wife would go to, Marquita Strader, one of the most wonderful ladies who ever lived before she went home to be with the Lord several years ago. And every single time, Kathy would say, Wayne, you mind if I go over and visit Marquita? I'd say, go! Because Kathy would always come home a more godly woman. This lady influenced my wife to be a godly wife and taught her how to love me, as the verse says. And boy, that's not an easy thing. And to love our children as well. So, as a Christian woman, you need to have someone who you're looking at as a model and someone for whom you are modeling. You know what, guys? It doesn't get any easier for us. From Titus 2, we turn to 2 Timothy 2. Look at the screen as Paul says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... These entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, I hope you see a great correlation between what we talked about last week and what we're talking about this week because there's an intentional relationship. Last week we talked about make disciples. This week we're telling you how to do it. You get involved in the lives of people. It's amazing to me how in the church we have not caught on yet to what the, the medical profession has done for years with the Hippocratic Oath. That a medical student or a doctor takes this oath and vows that they are going to reproduce their professional skills in the life of another young upcoming doctor. It's required. And yet in the Christian life, we know these verses. There's probably many of you that, that could quote these verses. And yet we're not applying these verses. What's amazing to me is these verses have no footnote. 
I look for them, but there's no footnote. A footnote that says, uh, ladies, this is what you're to do with the other ladies. Men, this is what you're to do with the other men. But then you get a footnote at the bottom that says, but if you're too busy, don't fool with it. If you don't feel qualified, don't fool with it. Because you know what? You're always going to be too busy. You're never going to feel qualified. You may uh, not believe it, but there's not a Sunday I don't stand up here and feel like, I really don't know that I feel that confident about what I'm going to say. There is always a feeling of, I'm not ready yet. And that's God's intention, so that you'll rely on Him and don't rely on yourself. So what's the... What's the, what's the way around not having time and not feeling like you have the capability? You just do it anyway. That's how. Because like we said last week, if you want to do something, you find a way. If you don't want to do something, you find an excuse. There was a guy who was parachuting, um, a Russian who was parachuting one time, 3,000 feet in the air, and his chute didn't open. It just, it came out, but it didn't open. It just stayed locked up. And so he pulled his spare chute, and it came out, but it wrapped around the other one, kind of like a barber pole. And so he's falling to the ground with both of his chutes malfunctioned, and he's screaming the whole way. And the guys on the ground, his jump buddies, look up, and they see him screaming, they see him in trouble, and they go and they grab a, a packing mat, and like firemen underneath a burning building, they all, you know, pull like this. 3,000 feet in the air, and they're, they're trying to pull him, trying to stop the guy like this. And they, they come to the, to the moment of impact, and down he comes at bone-crushing speed, and he hits that tarp, rips the tarp, knocks everybody down, and when the smoke clears, this guy stands up with a sprained ankle and some bruises. 3,000 feet in the air. Now you say, well, I don't believe that. Well... It's hard to believe. I know a guy, Jim Hill, fell. His parachute didn't open. And he's a pastor now. Isn't it amazing how religious you'll get all of a sudden? <laughs> when this kind of stuff happens. But to me, this is a picture of what God wants believers to do in the life of other believers. That is, we gather around, and if we're not there for each other, boom. We were created not in isolation, but in relation with each other. A great verse of Scripture in the book of Hebrews tells us, Encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Ooh, this verse is loaded. Look at a couple of details. Encourage one another. It doesn't say one to others, but one another. Can't do that on Sunday morning. It says day after day. It doesn't say Sunday after Sunday. It says day after day. Can't do that on Sunday mornings. As long as it is still called today. Every single day. And why should we do this? Why should we be involved in relationships that are significant beyond Sunday morning? Because... We all have the potential to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If Satan can get you off by yourself figuring you don't need to be involved in anybody else's life, 
you will become hardened. Hardening is a process. It doesn't happen like that. It is a process that comes as a result of deception. And the initial deception is that you don't need anybody else. That you can do the Christian life on your own. We value personal relationships beyond Sunday morning. As David mentioned, I want to finish the announcements now. Look at your uh, bulletin for a second at five wonderful ways to apply this message. The first is right on the front where it says the five love languages for couples. A wonderful opportunity for you beyond Sunday morning to enrich your marriage relationship and to develop some friendships with other people that are winning the struggle and that are also struggling with you in the same areas. Turn the page. You say, well, I'm not married. That's great. Maybe you're a single mom. Look at the top, mom's group. You don't have to be a single mom, but just a mom. I don't know of any mom that wouldn't love an opportunity to get together with other moms and then have someone else take care of their kids. A time of fellowship, of Bible study, and prayer. This is exactly what we're talking about this morning. And there it is. Twice a month, call Lori Collins. Christian basic study, next. If you have recently come to know Jesus Christ, or if you have been a Christian for a long time and nobody has ever shared with you how to grow as a Christian, here is a great opportunity for you beyond Sunday morning to get involved with some relationships on a subject that is relevant to you where you can learn how to grow. And it's beginning soon. Last only three months. Uh, information's there. Go down a little further. Say you're a man. Any men here? Okay, yes, I see a few. Walk like a man. You ever wonder in that song why they don't sing like a man? You know, that, that's, it just kind of came to me. Walk like a man. That, that's, that's what I'm thinking about. Or like that Bee Gees song. Oh, never mind. I won't get into that. Let's stay relevant here. Too many rabbit trails. Um, this is the Man in the Mirror study. Excellent study where you learn how to handle the 24 biggest problems that men face. Hey, guys, you've only got 24 problems. Isn't that encouraging? And this is a group that's going to help you work through those issues with other guys that are just as normal and sinful as you who will encourage you to be more like Jesus Christ. So you see, whether you are animal, vegetable, male or female, there is an opportunity for you beyond Sunday morning to do exactly what the text of Scripture tells you is essential for your spiritual growth. We cannot grow to your potential alone. You must invest yourself in the lives of others. I think it was Janis Joplin who said one time after a concert, she said, I've just made love to 25,000 people and now I'm going home alone. And you think, well, that's so sad. And yet it's so true. And so many of us do it every week. Not the, you know, but the coming together and having a significant experience and yet going home alone. It's so unnecessary. It's so unfortunate. God desires more for you than second best. Are you willing to accept that? God wants more for you than second best. And one of the best ways that you can grow 
is beyond Sunday morning getting involved with some relationships that can encourage you to do that. Trust Him. God's not going to lead you wrong. God's not going to lead you wrong. Trust Him. Step out in faith and watch Him develop your life. Let's pray. <clears throat> we have no better example, Lord, than Jesus Christ Himself, who didn't just shout out the commands from heaven, but came down and got involved with us on a personal level. He had the crowds, but He also had the twelve with whom He intimately poured out His life and ultimately gave His life. And so I pray for each of us here. As easy as it is to come on Sunday and to passively listen, I pray that you'd move in our hearts to go beyond the passive, to actively getting involved in others' lives and allowing you to do a work that is impossible to do on any other level. Lord, we look forward to the growth that will come as a result of our stepping out in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you.